0: Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest back to the podcast, the ecstatically wonderful Catherine May, author of The Best-Selling Wintering, along with The Electricity of Every Little Thing and The Just-Released Enchantment. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct.
1: I'd gone off and got lost in the woods and I walked for hours and I just couldn't find my way back out of the woods. <laughs> and there was this moment when I stopped and just had this sense of the forest as like this complete system of life. Like I could suddenly hear this, this crackle that felt to me like, like I could hear the water being drawn up from the soil and I could hear the leaves dropping down and I could just feel this, like I was part of this body and it was it was a remarkable moment and i've never let go of that and i and, and i think once you've heard it once like you can hear it again this sense of like the being part of this huge system that's way bigger and way more ancient than you are and and the humility of that like the lovely the lovely humbling that that, that entails because you know humility it means literally to be part of the soil to be of the soil and that is a grand feeling to to chase, I think, to to integrate with
0: that. Catherine joins me today to discuss her newest book, Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. A much-needed follow-up to her first book, Wintering, which provided so many with language that articulated the pain of the long communal loneliness and dislocation resulting from the pandemic, although it was written well before it, Enchantment presses forward, to provide readers with a guide to rediscovering the beauty in being alive. The adult world, Catherine notes, is a profoundly playlist space. As we age, we turn away from our innate sense of wonder and awe in favor of grounded materialism that leaves us tired, anxious, and lonely. In our conversation, she encourages listeners to lean into our natural curiosity, engaging with what feels interesting and luminous in our immediate environment, in order to resensitize ourselves to the subtle magic of living. We talk about sitting with our fascination instead of rushing to process it, and the unique value of small moments in a world that prizes big experiences. For those of us searching for a different way of relating to the world, enchantment is the balm we have been looking for. Okay, let's get to our conversation. I think I speak for everyone when I say that your books are such bombs. I love. I just want to live with you. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to live in the, with book. the edited <laughs> version of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I was, you know what I was thinking about this today? Because you know, like I, I wrote a post that that everyone's sharing about St. Bridget's Day, which is happening today, and what a, you know, significant spiritual moment that is. And then I went upstairs and realized my toilet was leaking and dealt with that. And then I went downstairs and did an interview about how to live a more spiritual life. And I just thought, that's that's the sandwich that is my <laughs> existence, you know?
0: <laughs> I know. It's true of all of us, right? Like, life's there to catch you. Just when you're sort of captivated by your own, not even, gra- it's like your own Grace, luminosity or numinousness, Yes. Yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> find yourself like honking at an old person at a stoplight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Looking for like the worst towels you own in the in the airing cupboard, so you can look at the bathroom floor.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wrote something recently about. I don't know if you've ever listened to Father Richard Rohr or encountered any of his oh, work. Yeah. But he, yeah. there was a comment. It was in maybe a Krista Tippett interview, and it was, "I pray for my daily humiliation," and this retethering, I don't you know need to like
1: pay for it. it just comes. Yeah.
0: It just it just comes. Same. But you know, I don't think he I don't know if he I don't think he has children. He doesn't have as many opportunities living in a hermitage for humiliation that you and I might normally experience. Oh,
1: so many opportunities.
0: So many opportunities. But you have to stay grounded, right? Like that's that's the etymology of humility. This is what brings Catherine May leaking toilets grounds you in your, in your existence so you don't just float <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, we're laughing, but actually I think that's what my new book's about in a funny kind of way. It's like, how do you have those higher thoughts at the same time as life being exactly as life is? And there's no escaping that. Like I can't, I can't imagine a life that would let me avoid ever having to deal with that. And I and maybe I don't want to, like maybe it's, maybe that's part of the mix.
0: Yeah. And your book also felt to me like an anthem against reductive thinking or this idea that we can go and sort of cherry pick, like we can curate our lives, our spiritual lives yeah. or lives that are laced with moments of magic and enchantment mm. and that, that we can live there. And you're sort of like, no, yeah. it's somehow like, it's about a Venn diagram, right? Like pulling these poles yeah. together
1: yeah it's about living that full spectrum of life and not getting caught up in the fantasy that you can somehow shop front that so that everything looks like an instagram feed because actually that would be a very flat experience to be honest even though a lot of it is pretty unpleasant and boring and irritating <laughs> and like, there's all these different like unwanted emotions that we have to wade through every day but that is the existence that's that's the dance we enter into and i you know we have to find a way to unload the dishwasher twice a day and also engage with the luminous flow of the universe like both of those have to be true
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't
1: have one or the other
0: yeah No, but like you, and again, this is why I think you speak for everyone or sort of go first in in so many of these movements. We've lost, right? We've lost those moments of magic Mm -hmm. or enchantment. We've forgotten to find that around us and have been so grounded in this materialist, grindy world. Did you... I know you started working on this book before Wintering even came out. So before... The yeah. pandemic, right but then you talk yeah. a bit at the beginning about sort of like the grounding nature of the pandemic and then your search.
1: Mm.
0: What is your spirit do you have a a spiritual construct or is it nature? What is your no
1: do you know what i was i've been thinking about this a lot lately and I think in many ways I'm specifically resistant to having a construct <laughs> like i i actually i don't believe it's pinned downable. And I think as soon as we construct a big story around it, we lose the thread of it. And that, I mean, for me, because I'm a language person, I notice that the most in language, that as soon as the language becomes fixed around any one experience, it loses its tingle of contact for me. Mm-hmm. And it becomes kind of dead. And I, I think the practice is to keep seeking that personal experience and that personal like hit of electricity and to keep making language around it and to keep making practice around it and i like that for me is where the life of it is actually mm. that to know that it's impossible to express and that it's impossible for us to really understand because we can never look at it directly maybe i'm a taoist most of all i mean i think it's closest to taoism really that sense that the you know there's this unknowable force that that deliberately isn't knowable like that's the point of it
0: Yeah. Well, that's – I mean, it's funny also as a writer because I try to, you know, pin things down or explain things like you. And yet also Mm. there's an ineffable quality to the voice and the resonance of things that we both hear and experience Mm. or see that can't, as you said, be captured. You think about Jesus. Jesus didn't write right? This no, is a long no. oral tradition. This was something that you were supposed to hear and pass on. And I think so many of the the richest mm. Buddha, all of these, I don't know what you yeah. would call them, ascended masters, like it was an oral experience. It was an experience, right? I can imagine. Yeah. Um,
1: and like a, an improvised experience as well. Like part of the oral tradition is that, I mean, it's a long time since I read the gospels, I have to say, but you get the sense of like Jesus, reaching for a story to communicate a certain thing at a certain moment in response to a certain question or challenge and fixing that down is not what we need to do we need to keep finding that improvised response based on this exact vector that we that we find ourselves in And, and i realize that's frustrating because I'm never going to be a writer that's going to say right here's the answers guys like I've got it I've worked it out I've sat and thought about it for 3 years and like here we are <laughs> you know <laughs> but that's an invitation for everybody to go in and dance their own dance with it and I like I'd hate to take that away from anyone by yeah. knowing it
0: no and you can't I think that's the whole that's the whole idea it's mm. like an internal experience that can't be taught or co-opted or experienced by anyone other than you or me and like you I mean I loved your conversation about going to the well and and rocks and your experience of nature finding enchantment and magic like that's where it starts because that's one of the other problems with the way that much religion or a lot of of And again, I'm not a a theologian at all, and I didn't grow up in organized religion, (laughs) so I probably am getting this wrong. But there is this separation, this suppression, right, of nature. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. because you hear people like um, Catherine Hayhoe, who wrote Saving Us. She's the head of the Nature Conservancy, and she's an evangelical Christian, I believe. And she, Mm -hmm. one of her whole thing is like, how do I get faith leaders To understand that the gospel was actually saying, no, you're stewards of the earth. The destruction of the environment isn't God's will or way, but that so much of the magic is there, right? Like that's where, that's where spirituality lives, I think, is in those rocks and wells. It's evident.
1: Yeah, it's apparent, but it takes our engagement and it takes our seeking and our, our acts of meaning making that are ever flowing onwards you know that never that never stop but also I think it I think it's time for us to flip our understanding of like humans as sentient and the land as insentient. this thing that we walk on top of and I yeah no sorry that that's actually a very recent conception of of the planet we live on the air we breathe and I think it's time for us to go back to a sense that information is encoded everywhere and that there's a conversation between us and the land but there's not dominion like it's we're not shaping it it's shaping us it's Mm -hmm. you know it's our job to respond to its needs and as you say to to be stewards to be good caretakers but to at the same time like respect the the livingness of this this place that that we live in that that, you know we're not superior within that taxonomy we're like just part of it
0: symbiotica is one of the fastest growing health and wellness companies in the country which seems well deserved as they use only clean premium ingredients in their formulas which means no seed oils no fillers no additives and no artificial ingredients I really like Symbiotica because many of their formulations are liquid or liposomal, which means that you can literally squirt a pouch of their vitamin C into your mouth and head out the door. It's legitimately delicious. Or if it's their vanilla cream flavored magnesium, you can squirt a pouch into your mouth, brush your teeth, and go to bed. No sleepy girl mocktail required. They have a delicious berry-flavored bioavailable B12 that you simply pump into your mouth, along with a citrus berry-flavored glutathione, an adaptogenic brain health blend that's vanilla chai-flavored, and pretty much everything else that you're likely looking for in the vitamin aisle to add to your routine. Though you don't actually need to find a vitamin aisle because Symbiotica ships straight to your door via subscription, which amplifies the convenience factor essential for me when it comes to establishing routines that I can set and forget. This year is your year. Are you ready to feel the results? Head over to symbiotica.com and use code THREAD for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. That's symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use code Thread for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. In The Electricity of Every Living Thing, another one of your books, which I love. I mean, you talk about that sort of your, your, yeah. your sense perception, the feeling, the electricity, right? And mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that and the way the sense of, of enchantment or magic in nature maybe presents itself to you?
1: yeah i think it's difficult to express in lots of ways and i think for me it always begins with a sense of fascination like what's caught my attention what feels really interesting what feels really luminous to me what can i not look away from like what is it that i want to kind of burrow deeply into and and explore and know about and touch and, and like experience and that that is electric to me like I talk about electricity a lot and and that is that's part of it like it it has a sense of aliveness of of like being more than I can understand easily like in the same way that an animal is like I I find the same experience in rocks and trees it feels like it's present to me (laughs) yeah so it's that it's it's this sort of question of attraction and following those lines of attraction and and just being with them I think oh, for a while you know being able to sit with that sense of fascination rather than trying to process it too much like rather than trying to say, oh I know this about this thing so now I'm going to put it down and walk away or which is the thing I think we're often taught as we're growing up to say, Oh, this, this level of fascination is childlike and inappropriate and it's time to move on from that because actually you need to turn your mind to more serious matters. There's nothing more serious or important than that, that need to engage, that need to to worship, honestly, and to feel like the ground beneath your feet is a sacred space.
0: I know I picture you and, and all of us to some extent as just like having your antenna up a little bit, maybe a little bit higher, mm-hmm. a little bit more far reaching. And it was interesting too, to, to when you talked about writing and dancing around that identification. And then it was a lex- one of your professors, right, who chastised mm-hmm. you for your note taking. I'm the same way. Like I compulsively transcribe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I just, it's like how yeah. I it's soothing to me and it's how i process i think or how yeah, i bring yeah. it into my body and it was interesting that dance that you had of cuz i think that this is this, it, these are muscles these antenna that we that we have to use mm. we have to practice right and and that's true of the engagement yeah. with the world or tuning into that those frequencies and i love that you sort of recognized your talent for writing and then abandoned it and then recognized mm. that like to retune. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah so I kind of I always say like I was born writing really like it I think writing came to me before reading it was always this thing that I wanted to do and I did it all through my childhood and as I got a little older I decided I wanted to be a poet like that was that was what I felt strongly called to do but then there came this age I think probably in my early mid-teens when I began to realise that that was like a slightly embarrassing thing to reach for, that it it kind of, it represented like an overreaching, I guess, and it was pretentious in the eyes of other people, but also that it just seemed unrealistic to anyone, you know, and I, I remember going to like a careers interview and they asked me what I want to do. And I said, I want to be a poet. And they were like, great. Have you thought of the prison service? You know? <laughs> I, I went to school near a very famous jail called Borstal, which was like, so they were recruiting, clearly. And <laughs> it like, brackets, I would be an awful prison warden. Like, I hate noise. I hate stress. I don't, I don't deal with people very well. I cannot imagine like a riot would break out on the first day. <laughs> I was clearly not suited to it. But there was some teasing, you know, from other students, et cetera, et cetera. And I decided to put writing to bed. Like I decided that I was it was time for me to know better, but it just wouldn't leave me alone. Like it really, it kept being in the back of my head and I kept thinking up stories and thinking up things I wanted to write and stringing groups of words together. And I would... Literally scold myself and be like, "No, we've not. We're not doing that anymore, Catherine. We're going to be a serious adult and we're going to have a proper job. And just when we figure out some office that we could live in without wanting to go and hide," it only came back to me when I'd I'd finished my teacher training. I'd done this kind of on-the-job training route that was really grueling, and I sat in my final assessment with the examiner. And afterwards, he said, "You've passed." And he said, "Now, what are you going to learn next?" And I was like, are you kidding me? I think I'm just going to sleep for a year now. And he said, no, no, no. You've got in the habit of studying and the best teachers are also students and you need to carry on like living that life because you'll lose the ability to do it. And so I signed up for a creative writing class because I just couldn't stop myself. <laughs> and that, the, yeah, then, it was, then it was fully back. And that was
0: it. That was enough. Were you a teacher?
1: I was a teacher. Yeah, I taught for three years. Yeah, not for very long. I couldn't hack it. It was too hard. (laughs) I so admire teachers that can just stick with it. I just was exhausted after three years. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, you – I want to read to you a little bit, if you don't mind, from your book. It's so beautiful. You write, Through all my brave rejection of the writing life, I had been making one basic assumption, that writing was my path to reject. In that hour spent in my makeshift study, I learned many things, that a childhood talent does not necessarily translate into an adult one, that your craft will die if you don't nurture it, and that your most profound thoughts seem shamefully thin when they're at risk of appearing on a page. Above all, I learned what happens when you turn away from play. The most beautiful reaches of your attention degrade within you, leaving behind a residue of bitterness and frustration. In playlessness, your adult self is not nurtured, but strangled. In deep play, that play that connects across months and years, that fosters its own arcane missions, that delves into the minutia of being, is hard to find again. Oh, Catherine, so beautiful. <laughs> but it, this is it. Like this is, and so much of it is... Going back to nature for a minute, that severing, that the death of playfulness, the death of wonder, the death of enchantment, that we, what is it, do you think, that severs that? Why do we turn Mm. away?
1: I mean, I I think there's loads of things, but I I think that the adult world as we know it now is a profoundly playless space. and But I also think that, we don't carry on letting our sense of play develop because I I don't think play stays the same as we age. And and we need like a more agile understanding of what play can be. Because play for me is definitely burrowing deep into words and ideas and thoughts. Like that that is my playful space. And I totally realize that does not look playful from the outside to other people but it is the it is my state of flow and it's also my state of like exploration and joy and it's this this thing that i yearn to do that on one hand takes up all of my attention in that moment but which is also deeply restful and deeply restorative and and sort of sets me straight again to to go out into the world and i and i do think that you know when we abandon play it's partly just because we don't carry on rethinking what play might be like yes we're definitely ready to put aside those barbie dolls we're over those but we don't have like a role model to show us that actually the next phase in play might look like this and very few people carry it on i mean i I think a good example of people who do carry on playing are musicians actually that that they have this pathway that's offered to them to keep on making in that lovely rich space but there, there should be many, many others that we can reach for, and, yeah. and you know, experiment with. Like it might, it might take us by surprise.
0: Mm, that's so true. I also like find. I think etymology dictionaries are fun. I'm with you mm-hmm. on that. And also joy. I mean, I wrote a newsletter this morning, sort of outing myself as a spiritual person, and, <laughs> well, not that and nobody that's noticed, not clear. <laughs>
1: Whoa, where did that
0: come from? Whoa, Catherine.
1: What? What are you talking
0: about? I know. I know. But it's funny how, one, how much shame I have about that because it doesn't seem very intellectual and serious. And I'm certainly interested in it's like I listen to all these interviews with physicists and I'm like, is anyone going to say that they have any sense of spirituality, even though science, I think, is a spiritual language? and no, they're all like profound atheists, which bums me out, but but I also understand, <laughs> but but yeah, I was you know, what I was talking about is how I think organized religion, uh, whomever has done a really bad job of selling a spiritual life, a right? Yeah, yeah, you're it's like, terrible. that sounds terrible. I don't, I don't want to go sit in a church. I don't want to listen to words i don't understand and for me it's like the inter- that is a type of internal play like going inside finding interiority yeah. being in conversation yeah, with absolutely. the universe is fascinating it's so fun yeah. right yeah
1: yeah and and also gathering with other people to enter that space together but in a way that doesn't come with judgment or that doesn't yeah. come with like a moral system that's so rigid that you can't thrive under it. I mean I, you know, I love running my retreats where really I just get people in a room to sit together and and breathe and and be and that is for me like a such a nourishing space like with no goals, no kind of fixed outcomes, inviting people to go off and explore, inviting people to skip a group session and have a nap or go for a walk, like to just retune into desire. And I, yeah, maybe maybe our group spiritual experiences are not teaching us that that can be really pleasurable as we're growing up and that actually it can be this like deep source of nurture. Of course, it's yeah. not true of everyone because some people join churches that do do, do that for them. But I, I certainly didn't find that as I was growing up. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, but you're you're tapping into something that I think is so important, which is this longing for community. And I think some mm. of it is community without even saying anything at all. And as you said, yeah. just being together yeah. and having an experience and breathing together without necessarily – Yeah, pressure. I went to yeah. – a friend was having a retreat and I – I did a little talk with her, and she's a therapist, And but it was really interesting just to see this feel, really, this group of women who mm. were gathering for a number of days, and the whole concept was very simple. It was just a simple container, and mm. it was deeply moving. It didn't mm. – it's not that she was necessarily stoking that. It was just emergent, because yeah. I think we long yeah. to be together, and – That's, we only need that opportunity.
1: I mean, after, after a few years of lockdowns, you know, I think, I actually think we're struck all over again by the interconnection we feel when we're present with each other. And and maybe that's doing us some good that we can, can really feel the hit of that when you're in a room with other people who are having emotions with you and that, you can taste them, you know, like they're, mm-hmm. they are present in the room. These do not feel like separate human beings. You become a a community who is, you know, which is linked together, which has always been linked together, incidentally, but we notice it. And I, yeah, I love those exploratory spaces. I love, totally. I love the emotions that well up and I love the, the peace that descends on them.
0: Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. I don't know whether I mean you think about modern society and modern culture and then even just the extreme nature of lockdowns, right? Where we live in this patriarchal society where we are single family homes or, mm-hmm. you know, all contained in our space like we we've, we've lost that that sort of collective village structure or that allo parenting yeah. model, right? Where or even just yeah. you know, smaller Neighborhoods where I, when I grew mm-hmm. up, where people, kids roamed free, like we're getting more mm-hmm. and more restricted.
1: Yeah. And
0: certainly the lockdowns brought that to an extreme head where, mm-hmm. rightly, there was wariness of everyone, right? But I think it forced, I think it forced, hopefully, it continues to stay. It's probably gone but people mm. to sort of ha- create you know you heard about all these hives you heard about all these collectives yeah. being formed in yeah. response which was so actually yeah. like beautiful we need that we need structured we need structured support
1: we do and it it's the spontaneity of that that's really important you know not the not to enter into these like arrangements that are very organized and that have Mm -hmm. a purpose and that you know okay so we're going to like a class today where you're going to learn alongside your child and improve yourselves and that's how we're going to interact but it's actually those those sort of everyday buffeting up against each other and witnessing people in different phases of life and Giving small little doses of support rather than it having to be a great big performance. I mean, I you know, like I have a, I'm an only child, and my son's an only child, and I, it really struck me forcibly in the pandemic. What a problem that is for all of us, because the other children at least had their siblings to play with, and my son had to had to play completely alone for months on end. Mm. And you know, obviously, like everything was just very quickly put in place and I get it but I was desperate to be able to say to someone in government like please can you make different rules for only children because this is developmental they are they're doing stuff that they shouldn't have to do alone and it's Mm -hmm. it's more than just them being bored like this is this is how they learn and grow and they're doing it in total isolation and in fact they're not doing it they can't do it because they need to be doing that you know, crawling all over each other—thing that children do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's apparently that's fun. You
0: know? <laughs> sounds amazing.
1: Each other, uh, scratching each other, complaining about each other, <laughs> but then like not wanting to leave each other.
0: <laughs> I'm your he... only child. <laughs> How is he doing now? Was he? Did He's he struggle? Great
1: he did struggle it was really really hard but he's you know he's actually he's bounced back really well and in fact i think in a funny kind of way he's come back stronger because he he did like a load of catching up in that time like he he had more time and space to catch up on his schoolwork and things like that and he's now he he like a load of concepts dropped in place for him and so actually i i think you know it's a very helpful time but it the you know the social life has been the thing we've really needed to catch up on and it yeah. it's still you know i i hated watching him be so lonely it was just vile yeah mm.
0: but we talk i mean we 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 recognize and this is certainly happening in the us i think it's happening happening where in the UK as well i mean isn't there what's that doctor's name dr sam i can't remember but his whole focus is for for years and years long before the pandemic was loneliness and right. this epidemic right. of loneliness and i think he would he would get older people yeah. to plant community gardens and find any yeah. mechanism for treating disease through communion. Mm, mm, and mm, mm. here, obviously, in the States, too, this pre predating COVID, these conversations about loneliness. And I think, if anything, mm. the pandemic was like, oh, we're all lonely. We're all lonely, even though yeah. so many of us are buffeted yeah. by a lot of social engagement. I think that true mm. longing to be with people mm. was certainly spot there was a spotlight on it
1: but also i but i i still think kind of going back into the into the world there's that strong sense that we're still lonely when we're in each other's company actually too which really needs addressing that but we're we're not connecting always even when we're in each other's presence we'll be texting your friends all day every day to the point of insanity like when you're like oh make this all stop but still feel lonely there's some deeper stuff there about how we live on a basic level that isn't the same as how we socialize you know yeah (laughs) those organized events don't cover it We're we're seeking this profound connection with each other that is about shared living and and in this very individualistic society that isn't available to us we're just doing Everything alone and we're endlessly reinventing the wheel and and that's painful to us, I think.
0: Yeah. But that's also where I think that nature and that re-engagement with that type of worship to me is mm. also a bomb. I had this experience during COVID actually. Now I'll, I'll woo-woo out <laughs> here for a second, because I know you <laughs> love woo-woo, Catherine. Yeah, I'm ready your for I'm favorite Embrace. <laughs> But I had this experience during a meditation where I was thinking about myself as a child like you. I mean, I spent a lot of time alone. I had an older brother, but we certainly spent time together. But I spent most of my days when I wasn't in town at school, outside, turning over rocks, logs, looking for deer beds, like just in the woods, in nature, which was an incredible blessing. And I had this sensation during this meditation this presence of sort of like a, I would call it a mother, like a universal mother. And I was like, oh, that's who was there. I had this like very moving, I started crying, but this feeling of, oh, I was never alone. I was never alone. And you were in company. It was in company. And I think nature can do that for us, not only in sort of like the anthills and the birds and the communion of creatures, but in this like there is a, Mm. for me at least, I feel like there is a Mm. presence, which is really accessible when I'm in nature of having some sort of company, you know, and something, some energy to commune with. I don't know if that's enough. It's probably not enough.
1: (laughs) Why is it not enough? Like that's, I mean, that's everything, isn't it? I, to me, that's everything that this sense that yeah there's this this sentience and this very gentle wise sentience that is present when you tune Mm -hmm. into it it's there and I think like maybe we all conceptualize it slightly differently and picture it in our heads differently maybe or you know make sense of it in a different way but I don't understand how that's not there for some people it seems observable to me, and yeah, you might you know call it one thing and I might call it another or you know, try and avoid calling it anything at all, which is like more, more my tendency, but when did we stop noticing it?
0: yeah. Well, and I think it's it goes to this mystical idea, right that that God, universe, nature, whatever you want to call it, is in everything in all of us and in everything. Mm-hmm. It's distributed throughout the world. There's nothing yeah. that's not that's outside of the divine versus a concept yeah. or a religious concept where there's a bearded God in heaven and you'll meet him someday when you so, die and he will. And he might
1: give you a good telling off, incidentally. Yes, you,
0: know? <laughs> you might, he, he's going to review your life and you're condemned yeah. or you're not. But this idea that he's, that, that, and I think of it, sort of, I don't even know, source, whatever, but that it's elsewhere, mm. it's somewhere else. It's left the scene. And yeah. we're in some sort of fallen state or fallen garden. It's like, no, 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 it's everywhere. It's present everywhere yeah. when we look
1: when we look I, and actually we're a we're like a particle of it in fact yes, like we are part of that presence it just doesn't seem to me to be in any way esoteric that thought like it just seems like that's there we go that's what's here yeah. I think you just have to have the time or make the time make the space to tune into it there's a bit of the beginning of electricity of every living thing when i'm really talking about that when i'd gone off and got lost in the woods and i walked for hours and i just couldn't find my way back out of the woods and there was this moment when i stopped and just had this sense of the forest as like this complete system of life like i could suddenly hear this this crackle that felt to me like like i could hear the water being drawn up from the soil and i could hear the leaves dropping down and I could just feel this like I was part of this body and it was mm. it was a remarkable moment and I've never let go of that. And I and, and I think once you've heard it once like you can hear it again, mm. this sense of like the being part of this huge system that's way bigger and way more ancient than you are and, and the humility of that, like the lovely, the lovely humbling that that, that entails. Mm. Because, you know, humility, it means literally to be part of the soil, to be of the soil. And that is a, a grand feeling to, to chase, I think, to yeah. to integrate with that.
0: And to run that energy. It's funny. I think of, I have poor, po- I'm tall like you and my posture is not great. Right. But sometimes when I like really stand up and I... It, the energy is overwhelming to me. I don't know if you have that sensation, but sometimes it's like when you feel those mm. goosebumps or that it feels, I feel so much electricity running through my body when I like stand up straight sometimes that I think I inherently crouch because I find it overwhelming. overwhelming. Yeah, like when you like,
1: really expand your chest and line uh-huh. everything up. And yeah, yeah, it's a lot to. It's a lot of sensation, isn't it? It's a lot. It of, is. Yeah. No, I get that. I really get that. But sometimes you can do it, and it feels magnificent.
0: Yeah. No, it's an amazing feeling. It's just, yeah. it's just so much. It's so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier, in a way, to 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 curl over and look at the ground or look at whatever material object is in your hands rather than opening mm-hmm. opening up to sort of the energy of the universe to have those experiences like you talked about in the woods but that's
1: like you know that that sort of older meaning of the word awe. Oh, like we've we've taken the edges off awe oh, now like awe oh, is like oh I've gone to a really pretty place and it was pretty or it was big but awe oh, was also it was supposed to be like a slightly terrible feeling too like it was this feeling of you could be overcome like here is this presence like whether it's a mountain or a a, a stream or or you know whatever that thing is that it it was so vast and powerful that at one time you thought it was indescribably beautiful but at the same time integrated in that feeling with the sense that it could crush you like an ant and that you were nothing before it and that was like a a very a godlike experience like that's it, it was you know compared to what it would be to truly experience god like as one blast of of understanding and i yeah we've we've stopped talking about the darker side of awe and the sense of potential it has to make us nothing and that that's actually a really valuable part of your experience we should feel like we're nothing sometimes because in fact we kind of are
0: we kind of we are, can't yeah.
1: maybe live with that all the time but every now and then it i think it helps to remember a little yes. unfortunately wrong people remember it. Like there are some people that really urgently need to think about it a bit harder and they're never (laughs) the people that do it. That's the issue with it. But
0: But no, I think it's like you just gave a beautiful, the etymology of humility, that grounding, you know, what I think Richard Ware was asking for sort of like being continually reminded, not of like, Oh, you're a peon and it's it's that – it's both, right? Like, our lives yeah. – we're, yeah. we're hugely powerful, and our lives have real meaning and impact in the world. And, like, I laugh in your general I'm direction, really right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think about growing up in yeah. Montana and going to Glacier, and that's my place of awe when you're driving – going to the mm-hmm. Sun Highway, and you're just like, holy bananas. Like, this yeah. landscape is ancient, massive, stunning mm. and i am a fleck i'm a fly I'm a i am yes yeah. like my my existence really yeah. doesn't matter here it's that paradox right i mean and paradox mm-hmm. it's like a paradox is how you know it's true it's this you know <laughs> so it doesn't it yes you are the center of the universe and yes you are nothing in context yeah. to the universe yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, everything and nothing all at once. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that it takes a lifetime to to kind of come to terms with, really. But yeah, that yeah, all of that is true all at once, and that we can only glimpse the reality of that sideways and occasionally. Like we sometimes get a little a little look at it, but most of the time we don't fully understand what it actually is to to live this life and to, to be part of this like we, we're not even capable of it it's too big for us
0: you start through hierophany i love that you talked at length about this word <laughs> the way the divine real reveals itself to us transforming the mm. objects through which it works like so much of enchantment is about small moments right mm. rocks that reveal mm. themselves to be geodes or a hidden well in the woods Is that where you start always, is just a walk?
1: It's where (laughs) I start and end, I think. Yeah, I mean, I like when I first started to approach the topic, my immediate thought was, oh, God, I'm going to have to go and visit some grand places. I'm going to have to go and climb a mountain. I'm going to have to (laughs) go to the end of the world. And and, uh, like, A, thank goodness for me, that wasn't possible at that time because I couldn't travel anywhere. And I and so I you know lived with a sense of doom about it for about a week, and then I realised that that's completely the point of this. That it's actually about how all of us can access it, and how and how in fact, in a way, those big experiences almost mask the true meaning. Like they're too big. They're too. Everything rides on them. And they expect us to bring something in this moment that we've planned for 18 months in advance and saved half our your salary for and like invested all this like grand meaning. And like quite often, we, we don't come away with anything really. We show the pictures to other people and say, look what I did. That's not the same as like getting mm-hmm. what you need from the experience. And I instead started to think about how I could really learn to find those big emotions in in the small and and in a very restricted life which will come to us all sometimes and like many of us very often Mm. and what do we do do we say oh only rich mobile people can have awe or do we realize what ridiculous nonsense that is Mm. and start to go looking for it and given that every one of us can step outside our door every night and see the moon and the planets and the stars, like it's actually always there. You don't have yeah. to travel very far. We can we can directly witness this extraordinary place we have in a vast universe with our own bare eyes every single night. Mm.
0: No, and it's so beautiful. And you talked about sort of and maybe we're past this, we're moving past this because we live in such an image-filled world and it's, mm. it's everywhere. And maybe the novelty of capturing all of these moments on film is done now that you can Google anything and see anything. And it doesn't capture the yeah. awe, right? I think that's the other thing yeah. that we're finally realizing is that our desire to capture the moment on page or on mm. Instagram, it's just a shadow it's it's nothing, right? It's just it's a an, it's an icon. It's a screensaver. Yeah. It's an icon for the experience. But many of us have missed the experience because we've been focused on capturing, <laughs> telling people, figuring out how we're going to tell people yeah. about it or capturing it yeah. on camera. And and, that, and like actually
1: also performing our awe for other people. Yeah. Like how can I make myself look ordinary? enough? And actually, I mean, awe is not a very communicative emotion in the in the moment I think
0: yeah but we've been entranced by that and I wonder if now that's dying I mean you see it right like people are just not as interested in Instagram (laughs) or there's a a, a, a an emptiness to it as much as it's a wonderful way of connecting with people and that now Mm. it's like if we're not running it through our bodies if we're not actually having an experience then what's the point
1: yeah it's so funny because this is exactly what I'm thinking about writing for my next book is about this this need for contact and this this need for direct revelation rather than secondhand experience and Mm. you're right like so I think I think I hope maybe not everybody but a lot of us are beginning to realise that we do the opposite of make contact in much of our interaction online. That on one hand, like, I think it's been incredible. I think it has linked together people who otherwise wouldn't find community. I think, wow, it's been an education. Like I've learned so much about other perspectives that I never have ever encountered from my little backyard, you know, in the far corner of England. And that's miraculous. And I never wanna be without that, but also in some ways it pulls me further away from other people. Mm-hmm. And it it only lets me encounter a sanitized part of people's humanity that does the opposite of drawing me to them. It makes me feel very different to them and very separate and very ashamed at my failure relative to what I see on their their screens and that is not great is it and i and i think it's i think for some people it's been incredibly harmful actually and i think for others it's been magical but now that we have like massive fortunes being made from making fake reaction videos on instagram no, it's where it's just where I reach my point of like complete refusal. Like, yeah, I, I I was reading an article the other day about these people who are making fifty grand a month by reacting to silly social media videos or like memes that come up on the screen and tell them guess their star sign or whatever, and and the bigger reaction, the faker your reaction, the more likes you get, the more money you make. And I, I just felt this uprising in myself against being any part of that culture that can skew our emotions so badly towards faking bigness rather than connecting and and being truthful and and making contact. Yeah, that is. Yeah, there's a turning point coming, isn't there?
0: There is a turning point. And I think as I look to you as, well, as a woman I love, but who is there, right? I feel like when your book comes- I worked my tail at you
1: then. Did you see? You missed that. I gave you a little tail wag. (laughs) But I I feel like
0: (laughs) I know how long it takes to write books and bring them into the world. And so when your books come out, everyone has caught up. It's the perfect cycle <laughs> I feel like for you but you're speaking into a void that we all feel right and yeah. and I'm with you I feel like we're at the we're at a tipping point we're at a turning point of like this doesn't hold this won't hold anymore of you know how do we all get off Instagram how do we preserve mm-hmm. the community maintain the community yeah. and get out of this and return to what's in front of us while yeah. bringing how do we keep all- the good
1: bits the yeah. good bits yeah yeah a thousand percent and i mean i like i've just recorded the podcast season about this question of how do we come back together again it was a question that was obsessing me for so so long because one of the things that social media has done to, done to us is to make us feel desperately uncomfortable with views that are not our own and on one hand like again there's been some virtue in that like I think we've developed a lower tolerance for things like racist remarks or ableist remarks you know and I I think we needed to do that very clearly as a society however we can't keep i mean i I sort of use the phrase social rubble at the beginning of enchantment like we've we've divided and divided and divided until we're just all these little pebbles sitting very step separately and there has to be something that happens that shows us the way to gather back together again within genuinely diverse communities and not communities that we call diverse but we're like asking loads of different people to look the same you know yeah and that is i mean that's a revolution it's it's absolutely huge and i like we're feeling the enormity of that and we should be it's something big is happening and we could screw it up like if we if we don't acknowledge the enormity of what so many of us are trying to do and what we need to do clearly as like a whole human community then things are going badly yeah you know but and I'm such an optimist like I'm an irrepressible optimist and I I feel excited by the possibility of learning to get back together again and to you know reacquaint ourselves with common humanity
0: yeah and just just to put a a bow on that I feel like the way that our culture has been so performative, so like, let me show you all of the things that I'm doing. Like, we need everyone needs mm-hmm. a moment to to a of privacy, of integration, of running again, running this stuff through our bodies mm-hmm. and figuring yeah. out who we are, how we feel, how we want to show up with each other first before we show up mm-hmm. in the world instead of this rush, this Absolutely. rush it reflexi- reflexive rush of self-protection, rather than actual integration. And I feel like we we need mm. we need this time to refigure, Critical reconstitute. Yeah, yeah, like what you were saying. Yeah. Like we've we've broken our we've yeah. broken ourselves apart in a really essential way, and now mm. it's time to reconstitute ourselves. And it's impossible to do it at the speed of social media. I think we're all. Years behind. You
1: you can't do it in hot takes. And you you can't do it in like performative nonsense that doesn't fully that doesn't take it back into deep, deep, painful reflection, you know? Yeah. Like we can't do this on the surface. Yeah. And that's a that's a big change that we're we're being invited to make and we don't have the skill set right now like we urgently need new leaders that will show us the skill set for this age that's going to require so much of us and so like so such painful work but also such beautiful work and mm-hmm. such beautiful chances to connect and yeah to, to reimagine ourselves as a as an entire population
0: yes, and I think that it's exactly that and I think our minds immediately go to pain and giving things up and relinquishing mm. things that we think have value. I think the beautiful part is the joy of, oh, actually, this interiority or this this way of being is so much, feels so much better it feels more beautiful yeah. I really think that 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 will be the felt experience of pe- many I think it is the felt experience of many people mm-hmm. and then anyone who is still holding on when they let go I think they'll be like oh this isn't actually yeah. painful I, I have yeah. so much more to gain there's like joy and resonance I think I think we're waiting for this beating and the reality is
1: the beating is now like we're having the beating, the beating is now yes yeah. The beating yes. is the resistance. Yeah, exactly. I, I Lama Rodown spoke so beautifully about this on my podcast. And I like I really would urge, like not because it's my podcast, but just because he is like a magic human being. I would urge everyone to listen to him on this because he is he talks about this apocalypse that we are actually living through, that we don't want to see as an apocalypse. But it's time for us to acknowledge that we are, the apocalypse has come. But the apocalypse, the apocalypse which is a really hard word to say, the apocalypse is what remakes us. And yeah. we need to be remade. There's a lot that needs to be remade.
0: And isn't like the etymology or the meaning of apocalypse, the revealing of what's not secret necessarily but like what's already there it's a rev- it's more of a revelation right. yeah. it's less of yeah, a yeah. zombie apocalypse but actually more <laughs> yeah, of a the you're opened your eyes <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i like I, but is i mean this is way off topic but isn't it really interesting that we're in an age that's ex- obsessed with the zombie apocalypse that yes. you know small children are now into the zombie apocalypse like in a way that yes. i find terrifying And and it's like, God, we'd we'd much rather deal with that apocalypse, that imaginary apocalypse, than the, the one that is unfolding.
0: Oh, to live inside of Catherine May's mind. She's such a beautiful thinker and person, and as much discussed in our interview, she is where we find ourselves, but years ahead of us, leading the way. I think she's, she would chafe at this, but to me, she, she seems like a mystic in many ways, making seen what has been unseen but felt for so many of us. She writes, I realize as I stand there with my feet in the water that I don't need to ask the well for anything, not for a blessing or a wish or for knowledge that I can't find myself. I just need to make contact with a place that holds a residue of hierophany to feel the connection between myself and the many other lost souls who have come here, not knowing quite what to say. Rather than to say any prayer, I needed to take care of this place to make a gesture towards an invisible continuity of yearning. The mysteries it holds are not revelations or miracles, but the flow of unknowing across the centuries, the connection of wanting to understand. In this moment, it seems to me that talking to God does not require faith, but practice. It is a doing rather than a believing, an act of devotion reciprocated in the same way it is made, mutely, through the hands and the feet, the myriad attentions of the body. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelispodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter. I promise I won't spam you. Or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunan to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast.